morning. Happy 4th. Yeah? Amen? Happy Independence Day. Would you turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12? Let's go to Romans 12. And we're continuing our study into worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just pray, would you do your mighty work? Would your word pierce our hearts and our minds? Would it do its work of submitting our wills, Lord? Father, may we, this morning, give ourselves to complete worship to you. Lord, we pray that our lives would be shaped that way as well. Transform from the inside. Father, let no vice nor sin remain, as one in song said, that resists your holy war. Your son voluntarily went to the cross for us, and that's what we celebrate this communion Sunday. Our true freedom, our freedom from sin, and our freedom to serve you. We pray, may your word do its work in our hearts. May not our sin or our self-preconceived notions hinder the work of the word. May no distraction hinder the work of the word. Christ, would you be exalted. Spirit, take the things of Christ and glorify the Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite verses to discuss. Here we're talking about the elements of worship. And what we've been doing is we've been preaching through this theme of worship. What does it mean? If you remember a few weeks back, we started with the design of worship that God has created us in the fabric of our being as the image bearers of God, as the image bearers of his moral and his spiritual and the social and his rule over earth. We are to image forth his glory as we do that, his goodness, his kindness, his righteousness. We saw in Isaiah chapter 6 that God is worthy to be worshipped because of his holiness. He is the only one who is described as holy, holy, holy. Thrice holy God. Then there is this displacement of worship where man has replaced him with crawling creatures and animals and four-footed animals and himself, his own will, his own desire, where man becomes the very arbiter of truth. You hear it today when people say, I speak my truth, I tell my truth. They become the arbiter of truth, not God. Then we looked at uh, the elements of worship, which we see as patterns in Scripture. The first one is remembering God. That worship is a response to God. It is not the initiation. It is a response of what He has done first for us, through us, in Christ Jesus. Then there's submitting to God. That is, not only do we hear God's word, it's not enough to just hear, simply be hearers of God's word, but to be doers of it. To say, this is not right in my life. I need to change in this. 
And then lastly, there is this serving God. Serving God. This is, so there's the pattern of remembering, submitting, and serving God. Let's read the text. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Man will often live in half-hearted worship to God. Either an outward ritual with no heart, that is hypocrisy, or all heart with no real change in life, that is simply emotionalism. That's what most of Christianity is right now. They feel... They understand the gospel, and there's no repentance in life. There's no fruits-bearing repentance, neither of which is worthy of him. Christ is worthy and glorious to receive all of who we are. His grace and loving kindness to his people sets you free to lay your life down for his glory. Worship is exalting, as we said, biblical worship, and we're working with this definition, is exalting and adoring God the Father through the person and work of Christ, because he gives us access, right, in the power of the Spirit by thought, word, and deed, and as a fundamental response to who God is and what he has done. Worship has three elements, remembrance, which leads to submission, which leads to service. And we're going to talk about service today. God gave this passage to you so that you would daily offer all that you are in daily worship to God. He gave this passage so that you would offer all that you are in daily worship to God. Now to offer all that you are in daily worship, remember God. There, Just remember God submit to God and serve God to offer yourself to give yourself to him remember God submit to God and serve God number one remember God we're going to look at two verses here verse in this first portion I urge you therefore brethren remembering God is crucial he says I urge you therefore brethren and this is Paul's uh, gentle call his imploring the word there to urge means to implore. It means to beg. This is what Paul is asking them to do. It means to ask something earnestly and with propriety. To ask for earnestly. To request. To plead for. To appeal. To beseech. To urge. To exhort. To comfort. And Paul ex calls the Roman believers to be serious about their walks with Christ. Not to just give lip service, not to simply show up to service, but to be serious in their hearts, serious in their minds. That their minds and their outward expression would be aligned. And so Paul begs them, this is all important. And he says, brethren, these are brothers and sisters in the Lord. These are Christians. He doesn't ask unbelievers to lay themselves down in worship. Worship is a Christian thing. It's not for unbelievers. As it would not be accepted. God does not want anyone's worship if they have not bowed the knee to Christ first. 
For unbelievers, there is this uncrossable gap of sin that divides them from God. God had made us, as you know, in his image, as we spoke about, and we have sinned against him. And there's this uncrossable gap of sin. And because God is perfect and holy and thrice holy, he will not let us come in fellowship with him. Our relationship has been broken. Therefore, we cannot please him with whatever we do. It is wrong to start there. To start, oh, come and worship with us when an unbeliever doesn't even know Christ yet. And so now, that uncrossable gap of sin, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, to come and live on our behalf, to die on the cross that you deserved. He died and was buried and was resurrected. And the Bible says, if you have faith and you trust only in him, you will be saved. And the Bible says that is a person who is now called brethren. So not all people are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Not all folks are brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is only given that authority is given to those who have trusted in Christ alone. And so Paul makes his appeal to brothers and sisters, and I make that same appeal. Only those who have left their life of sin and have trusted in Christ are the brethren. So as you remember God, Paul says this is a crucial thing. This is an important thing. You have to understand this in your walks. This is fundamental, brothers and sisters. Secondly, remembering God is distinct, he says, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Therefore, accordingly, he attaches it I urge you, therefore, brethren, right, by the mercies of God. The mercies, there's this, uh, has this connotation of showing mercy and concern with the implication of sensitivity and compassion. This word is also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When God is called, he is characteristically called in his essence, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And God of all comfort. So now if you look at what he's saying, Paul's use of therefore and by the mercies of God, he is attaching all of, the, all of Romans that he has written, chapters 1 through 11. He has painted the dark picture. But he tells us in vivid detail that the mercies of God are not something ambiguous. It's not a cloud. It's not some, some kind of hallmark greeting card where it's, oh, it's the love of God that is not defined. It is written down for you to understand its depth, to understand its glory. In chapters 1 to 3, you know in Romans, he talks about the sinfulness of mankind, both of the Jew and the Gentile, and it ends, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in that backdrop, we know that through uh, Abraham in chapter 4 and 5, that only if you have faith in Christ, that you are justified, that is declared righteous in the sight of God the Father because of your faith in Christ. And then he moves on in chapter 6 and 7 that we are no longer slaves of sin, but in chapter 7 that we will still struggle and fight our sin remnant in us. Chapter 8 reminds you that even if you fail, brothers and sisters, even if you fail in your fight for sin, the Bible says, 
If you are truly in Christ, therefore, there is no condemnation. Amen? And that's what we celebrate today. Chapters 9 through 11 is God's sovereign display of mercy in the election of his people when we would have never chosen him. And so all that to say, this is why, this is what Paul is saying by the Spirit of God, this is why a life of worship is based, is predicated on the distinct work of God in Christ Jesus on behalf of his people. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God, all that he's done for you, do not take lightly your life giving it to him. How could you take it lightly? This is why Paul is saying it's crucial and it's distinct and also it's continual. Notice in verse 2a, he says here, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's continual. Remembering God is crucial. He is distinct. Remembering God is crucial. Remembering God is distinct. And remembering God, it is to be continual. He says here, do not be conformed to this world. The word there, conformed, means to be fashioned. Something by using a shaped container, a form, or a mold. To change, and then it used metaphorically to change your behavior to look like this or someone's life. It's kind of like when we go to the beach and maybe Levi might bring his bucket pail and he stuffs it with sand and he turns it upside down. And then he lifts it, and then there's that shape of sand. But it was caused by an outside force, that bucket. And Paul says, don't be, don't be controlled. Don't be influenced by the outside world. The world here is not the typical word used for, for world. It's not cosmos. It's ion, or where we get the word eon, which, is, which means the age of the times. And he's talking about the world system values. Brothers and sisters, the world system has its different masks and different eras, but it's all the same. It is Christless. It is godless. It is one that does not want to be under the sun of glory. This is what the world, what makes the world tick. In, in summation, the form of this verb, do not be conformed, is in the imperative present passive, which means don't let it happen to you. You've got to be active about it, brothers and sisters. In light of all that Christ has done for you, you've got to sit there, all of you, in your individual lives, wherever you're at, if you're on base, if you're at home, if you're at work, if you're at school, if you're on the job, wherever you are at, you have to realize this. Sit down and remember all that God has done for you. And let that be the impetus. Let that be the drive, the motivation that I am not going to be conformed by the lies of this world. And what makes this world tick? And what this world values, this world doesn't value Christ. It doesn't value giving your life for him. It doesn't value a life sacrificed for his glory. You know, brothers and sisters, let me just pause here. 
Do you know that all you have to do to be conformed to this world is nothing? Just be lax. Just don't spend time in his word. Just forsake fellowship. Just forget all of your convictions in Christ in the scriptures. And just go with the flow. Pretty soon what starts to happen, outside forces, unbelieving friends, sadly, professing believers, nominal Christians in name, who don't know the scriptures, they start to shape the way you think and the way you value things by you simply not being diligent. Paul says, do not surrender your mind to anyone except to Christ. He says, don't be conformed going with the crowd. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you know, this word transform means to be, have this inward change of nature, to be changed from the inside. He uses two different words of change. You could either be conformed from the outside by the world, or you could be transformed from the inside. Brothers and sisters, the way Christ changes is from the inside. He starts with the thoughts and the inclinations of the heart. He regenerates that and transforms it. This renewing is someone being spiritually new and different. It's a constant viewing of truth. This is what's happening. There's a constant viewing of truth to affect your mind this truth in God's word about the Savior, about heaven, about hell, about the world, and about Satan. And there's a re-evaluation of your own views in the light of Scripture. So what is this saying? This When we get saved, not all of it is fixed. Let me tell you. The way we think. Long-held beliefs. Ideas about morality. Ideas about how kids should be raised. Ideas about what marriage looks like. Ideas about what society should look like. Ideas about our own sin. The excuses that we make for our own sin. All of those things, when we get saved, yes, God changes us. He renews us. But there needs to start this process of renewing our minds. And he does that by an exposure to God's word. The more you're exposed to good teaching and the more you're exposed to Christ-centered fellowship and Christ-centered music, not empty fluff, but actually words, truth that is brought together beautifully with music, when that is brought to bear in mind unto your life, and if you are saturated in this, what happens is your mind starts to change about things. Your mind starts to change about what is righteousness and what is holiness and what does it mean to follow God. 
And what about different areas in my life and different pockets of rebellion that I still have? But none of that occurs, that renewing of the mind, if there is no exposure. Discipline, brothers and sisters, there is discipline in, the, in, the, in Christianity. There is discipline, exposure to the word of God. And you can't depend on your parents for this. You shouldn't depend on your parents for this. You shouldn't depend on your spouse for this. This has got to be something that you, even as I beg you, I urge you, therefore, just as Paul, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. Make, make, maybe make a time where you turn off that phone. Maybe the first few hours of your morning is, I'm going to spend time with God and a good cup of coffee. And I'm going to hear from Him. Maybe there's an, an, an area, you know what? I'm going to change my life here so I can make that fellowship over there. Or I'm going to change, I'm not going to be involved in this group because I know it's going to block my walk with God, how so? It's going to block fellowship. Which would be yet another input in my life so that I would not be conformed by the world, but I'll be transformed. I was talking to my son. He loves camp. Uh, we're excited about camp. I love camp too. Um, the reason why we love camp, and uh, they were talking and they are trying to explain it. And, uh, I know what they meant, but sometimes I just let them explain it because I want them to kind of discover and to kind of say it themselves. So, so as they were talking, they were like, it's just like most of the folks there are Christians and they love Christ and they actually have lives that are matching what they say they believe. And it's like, it's like, I said, what? What is it like? What is it like? Say it. It's like a taste of heaven. Amen. Where God truly does rule. And people actually listen. And folks actually give their lives. There's no distractions. At the camp, there's not a real good cell signal. It's really actually quite strategic. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, we don't need a camp to live like that. You know, every single time we sing... Even as we were singing that old song, Trey, that you were sing that we were singing, Great Are You Lord, that's just a little taste of heaven, wasn't it? Worthy of praise, holy and true. Being there with you, saints, singing that is the sweetness and the goodness of God's people together do not be conformed to this world but be transformed brothers and sisters and he has given us very simple simple tools has he not he said to remember God and next to submit to God submit to God you notice there's this pattern and this is what we've been arguing for the past three weeks that when you see text in the scriptures, you'll also see this in the Old Testament. Moses will remind the people of who God is. He will call them to submit. And then now you have to live a certain way. You have to serve him. 
So this is the second component that we talked about. This is submission to God. Submit to God. Verse 1b. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies. And this is all connected once again because of his mercies, because of his love, because of his compassion, because of his forgiveness. There must be a decision you must make. It's not just someone saying this and you hearing it. That is not enough, brothers and sisters. There must be a decision that you make. In other words, because of remembrance, you must submit. You must present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. The word there, present, generally it means to place someone or something at someone's disposal. But technically, it was the word translated in one of the Greek translations of the Old Testament called the Septuagint which means to present or to offer or to bring a sacrifice. And he's saying to present your bodies as a sacrifice. God has made our constitution as having a spiritual, immaterial part and a physical, material part. Many of the Roman believers were in fact influenced by the beginning stages of Gnosticism. And one of the main tenets of Gnosticism was that all that is spiritual is good and all that is physical is evil. Thus any sin done in the physical realm with the physical body could not affect the spiritual part of the person. Thus sin, minor or gross, in the believer's life was not mortified, was not dealt with. By the putting off of sin and putting on of Christ. And then what had happened is there were folks who were saying they were Christians in the Roman church, just like today, and not living it. They'd have experiences of God. They would remember God, but they would not live lives of repentance. They would not make firm changes in their life. And there were the, those mature Christians in the church in Rome who would tolerate it who would not help the younger Christians, who would not point them to Christ. And so what was happening is sin was infiltrating into the church. This is why Paul would say later on in Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regards to his lust. And what he's saying is starve sin. John Owen used to say, be killing sin or, or else it will be killing you. Mortify is the old, uh, is the King James translation. Mortify sin. Kill it. Be vicious with it. And so what he says, that all sin and inversely all acts of righteousness are in fact done and initiated by the mind and accomplished with the body. Romans 6.13 says it this way, okay? He says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And what he's saying is this. Do not, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 6 so that you can see this. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Romans 6.13. Uh-oh. Excuse me. Uh, 
I'm sorry, I hit a wrong button. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, there is. There we go. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Notice he says there, look at 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on, here it is in verse 13. Verse 13 he says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sins of unrighteousness. And Here's what he's saying, okay? Notice it starts with the lust. Lust starts inside, in your hearts. The lust here is any strong desire. It's not necessarily sexual lust in this text, okay? It could be any strong desire. And what happens is you have a strong desire for something that is sinful or something that is unwise that will turn sinful. And so what happens is what you do is he says, do not go presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So what he's saying is, do not, he says, present the members of your body. And that's a military term. And he's saying, do not line up. I think there's like, you guys could tell me later, uh, you military folks, like a mustering zone where everyone will line up, okay? And what he's saying is, don't line up your body. As in a military term, don't line them up to align with sin. Don't present yourself. Don't place yourself in such a way that you're going to sin. He says what? Do what instead? He says, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members, your members, members of what? Of your body. So you take the things the material things of your body, which is determined by your mind and your heart, and you line it up with either lust or you line it up with righteousness. You line it up with sin or you line it up with the glory of Christ. What will you line your body up to do? I think it, it does a great disservice to Christianity when we simply say that Christianity is all internal, no external. Or when we say Christianity is all external, no internal. It's both and. It is both internal and external. What I mean by that is, sometimes when we talk about Christianity, especially when you talk about different churches, they will always say, well, this is something that happens in the heart. Amen. I believe that. This is something that happens individually in the heart. Amen. I believe that. But then, what? Then it has its outward manifestation, how? In the local church, as it serves Christ. Or on the outset, is it, if it's if folks who say it's all external, well, what about the heart? Well, that doesn't matter. Then you've got hypocrisy. Yet in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says that it starts in the mind by uh, transforming the mind. It starts in the mind by reminding you of God, and then it has its outward manifestation in what? Service to God. It is not one without the other. 
If service without the heart is hypocrisy. If heart without service, it is not repentance. And so now he goes on to talk about here as you submit to live. He says, back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Turn with me there. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. A living and holy sacrifice. The word there, sacrifice, typically it was an animal slain for the sins of the perpetrator. The animal had to die. We know that. This is the the pictures and the shadows of the Old Testament in the temple. And Paul says that you are like that, but not really like that. He says it in a different way. Notice what he says. You are a living and holy sacrifice you are like the old sacrifices but with a distinct difference you are alive your whole life and this is what it means your whole life must be given on the altar to God daily There is nothing else acceptable to him. Do you understand? We're going to talk about what that means, acceptable. The only thing that is worthy of the mercies of God, of all of these things that he has reminded us, is absolute devotion, absolute loyalty, Absolute laying down of yourselves, brothers and sisters. And this has got to be voluntary. I can't force you. We cannot force you. No leader can force you. You've got to want to lay yourself down for him. Now. Says you're a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice. There can be no confusion. You cannot be motivated, influenced, ruled by the world. You are to be holy and separate. This is a high calling, is it not, brothers and sisters? And then he says, acceptable to God. This is an amazing phrase. An amazing phrase. This word, acceptable to God, you arrestos, means to be well-pleasing, acceptable. It's, we, we know this, okay, brothers and sisters, for the sacrifice of sin, we know that Christ is the only acceptable blood sacrifice for sin. Amen? This is why we are celebrating today. Hebrews seven twenty seven says, first for his own, uh, he says, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews nine twelve says, not through the blood of bo- goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 10, 10 says, For by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ for all. And so what we know that the only acceptable sacrifice for sin is Jesus Christ himself. And so now this is turning in this text. So, well, then what is the acceptable sacrifice that I can give? My life can give. This is not to pay for my sins. 
I know that only Christ could pay for that. But now what do I do with my life? And brothers and sisters, the only acceptable sacrifice a Christian can give to God is laying down your life now on the altar for worship. It's not blood sacrifices, but it's the sacrifice of yourself in a life of worship. As you completely give yourself in response to what Christ has done on your behalf, the Lord, get this, the Lord is actually well pleased. It's amazing. See, a lot of times when we look at the text, as Protestants, we'll look at the text and we will, we will come back and say, well, there's nothing that really pleases God except the sacrifice of Christ. Yes, I know. But what he is saying here is, well, how do we live our lives? Because we know that as a result of the sacrifice of Christ, we know that there are texts that say we can live lives that please him because now it is living in response to what he's already done. This is why we desire when we go to heaven, we want to hear Christ himself say, well done what? Good and faithful servant. And so by God's grace, as someone who's been a redeemed saint, you can live your life. This is amazing. You could live your life in his will, pleasing him in a, in a way that glorifies him, that honors him. Brothers and sisters, we're coming all the way back again in a life of worship. To offer all that you are in daily worship to God, remember God, submit to God, and lastly, serve God. And this is, this is really the next element of worship that we've been talking about. Here's the next element of worship. He says, which is your spiritual service of worship? The word there for service is the word latreia. And the reason why I say that is because it comes, this is the root word of where we get the word liturgy. Okay? Every church has a liturgy. Some folks don't think, don't think that all churches, every church has a liturgy. What is that? The way they do things. We call it here the order of service. Do you know that? So some of you guys get a, a weekly email that says order of service. That is our liturgy. And it is coming straight from this word, which means service. The word liturgy or uh, the word here, latreia, means divine service or worship. To perform religious rites as a part of worship. It is an outward display of worship based on an inward reality of worship. Did you hear that? An outward display of worship based on an inward reality of worship. And what he says here, this is your spiritual service of worship. The word there, spiritual, is not, is not as, uh, it's probably better translated because the word is logikos, okay? It's better translated reasonable, rational, logical, belonging to the real nature of something, pertaining to being genuine in the sense of being true to the real and essential nature of something. Genuine, true, agreeable to reason, following reason. In other words, Paul's rhetoric is very clear. If in fact you have been saved from your sins and God's mercy and love and forgiveness have been poured out on you daily and you've been experiencing, 
experiencing that, if in fact you have been redeemed and you walk in newness of life, the only, listen, the only real and logical and reasonable thing for you to do is to give yourself completely into his service in worship. If all of that is true, you should be giving yourself to worship first in your daily lives and in service to him unreservedly. In abandon. Your friends, your co workers, your classmates, and sadly, even professing nominal, that means by name only, Christians, they may tell you that it is crazy to give your whole life, your heart, your body, and your soul. In worship to Christ. This is what they would say. That's too extreme. Oh no, I can't get up that early. Oh no, that is just too hard. Oh, why do you think that way? Oh, you're an extremist. Oh, you're crazy. No, brothers and sisters. It's the most reasonable. The most logical. Thing to do is to give your life to Christ. What is truly insane, brothers and sisters, is to continue in rebellion to a, a God who has created the heavens and the earth and to continue in rebellion to someone who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. That is truly insane. To reject love is absolutely insane. The real reasonable life is one that is spent at the service of the Savior. So it's, it's actually really reasonable to take great risks. Do you understand? It's really reasonable to spare no expense. It's really reasonable to work hard for his glory. It's reasonable to stay up late at night planning and praying. It's reasonable to go after sheep when they're in sin. It's reasonable to work hard and love your kids and give them the gospel every time they sin. It's reasonable to work on your marriage when sin comes up and you need to look to Christ. It's reasonable to stay pure, to follow Christ when you are single. It's reasonable. It's it's honorable. It's logical. Because God reigns. He says that you prove also in verse 2b. He says... I'm skipping down. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The word there, prove, means to test and approve, to test and examine. And what he's saying here is that when you live a life that is completely given to God, on his terms, not yours, completely given to God, he says you test and approve. In other words, 
you show by your life that he is right. That living for him is correct. He says that the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I remember the word, the word therefore good means to be beautiful. The acceptable means to be well-pleasing. We saw that word pre- previous. And perfect means everything it should be. When we were first married, uh, we had a lot of our relatives who say, you guys aren't going to make it. You're going to be poor. You're going to, you're, uh, the marriage is not going to last. You don't have your degrees. Blah, 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 blah. And by God's grace, because glory goes to him, we've loved each other. We've sinned and forgiven each other. God has provided for us over and over, given us beautiful children who we love, who are pursuing and seeking after Christ. And then, as the years go by, we've had friends and relatives come back and say, you know what? I was making fun of you before. But now I see following Christ, following God is the right thing to do. And brothers and sisters, we have seen people that we have been praying for for over 25 years come to Christ. It takes that long. But by God's grace, by laying on the altar, you show that his will is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see? You can't do that if you don't lay it down. If you don't lay it down. When you give your life in thinking God's thoughts and responding in complete devotion, you show the world by testing and approving that all God says he is, is true. He's true. That following God in worship is in fact good. That means beautiful, acceptable, well-pleasing, and perfect as it should be. This doesn't mean you are not going to run into bumps, speed bumps. Or probably a tree. You might run into a tree a couple times, right? But by God's grace, we're going to come to his kingdom, hobbling some of us, right? But by God's grace, you show the beauty and the glory and the splendor of God. How? You imaged forth his glory. If you're a Christian and you come to church or home fellowship or Bible study or discipleship or the fellowship, all you ever think about, and if if all you ever think about is what I get, what I learn, what I receive, you will miss out. This is not what this verse is about. The true joy does come in learning about him, but not in short-circuiting the response. You learn, you submit to what you hear, And then you give your life as a living sacrifice, as the logical response of worship to him. 
Are you saturating your life with the word of the Lord to maximize remembrance? Are you bowing down to the Lord of Lords to maximize submission? Are you giving your life to the bride of the Lord to maximize service? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it speaks clearly and how it speaks true. Lord, I pray if there are those who are have not submitted to certain parts of your word, have not given themselves, I pray that they would. And Lord, I pray that you would show yourself, declare yourself mighty. Father, I pray that we would remember and submit and serve. Help us to do that now as we sing praises to you. Let our lives be a daily offering of worship. That's what we'll be doing in heaven forever. Bringing him glory. That is the heart of a Christian, we pray. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.